So I'm here with Bishop Kendall, and I, I had a question for you. A lot of listeners who maybe aren't pastors or you know not leaders, and they say, well, why should I go to General Conference next year? What would be the purpose of that? What would, what would you say to them? Well, thank you for asking, Josh. Um, if, if people like you're describing don't go, it really won't be worth the going. Mm. It is um, intentionally planned as a huge resourcing event for the entire Free Methodist Church. So we're uh, praying, we're inviting, praying, expecting thousands of people to gather to learn how to be on mission with Jesus and to be whole on mission. That's the big idea. Awesome. And uh, we, we will get there by learning how to worship more uh, enthusiastically, passionately, how to disciple more deeply and how to reach out and win the world for the sake of Jesus. So you'll learn how to do that better than you've ever known before uh, if you join us in Orlando in July 2019. Great, and you can register now. The registration site is open. It is. Thank you so much. Welcome to FMC Radio, your officially unofficial source for all things Free Methodist. From in-depth discussions with key FMC leaders to daily updates during events like General Conference, we want to keep a consistent stream of information flowing to you regarding where God is leading the Free Methodist Church. I'm your host, Josh Avery. We want to invite you to sit back, relax, and join us on this journey as we learn what it means to be Free Methodists in this episode of the FMC Radio Show. May 14th, and uh, this is episode 56. Obviously, you probably figured out by now that that opening clip there was Bishop Kendall. I was able to talk to him over at the Ohio Annual Conference this past weekend, and uh, just given some good uh, good uh, words on why it's important for you to, to show up, for you to come, no matter who you are listening to this right now. Uh, it's important for you to come to General Conference for so many reasons, and I can't wait to see you there. This past weekend when I was at Ohio Conference, they showed a trailer video, I would call it a trailer, uh, a exciting promo video for General Conference, and there were some things that I didn't know about when I saw the video, specifically in regards to uh, kids, and if you're listening, you say, oh, I'd like to go, but you know what, what would I do with my kids? You know, maybe you have some teens, maybe you have... Uh, uh, toddlers, maybe you have younger, you know, and you're going, well, well how am I going to really deal with that? Uh, but something that I learned, and, and is pretty exciting, um, is first and foremost, uh, there will be a youth summit going on at General Conference. There will be daily activities, uh, daily programming for middle school students, high school students. Um, so lots of cool stuff going on with them. I remember last time they had something going on very similar um, where they would have some free time. They'd go to the pool with the group. Uh, they'd have, you know, lesson time. They'd do stuff, you know, similar to youth group every day. I know that the teens that I uh, had talked to there last time in 2015 really enjoyed their time there. But something that I wasn't aware of that, that might might be new this year. Um, uh, they, they're going to be offering some opportunities for younger children. 
So International Child Care Ministries, ICCM, is going to be leading daily activities for kids kindergarten through fifth grade. So that covers a wide range there. Uh, your teens are covered if you have teens. Your kids are covered if you have kids. And then you say, well, my kid's not in kindergarten yet. Like myself, I have a two-year-old. It's like, well, that, that's, that's awesome, all these things. But what are we going to do with our two-year-old? Well, they're going to have daily activities for toddlers as well so that parents can engage in the sessions and the focus groups and the breakout groups and all the sorts of things that are going on. It's going to be an amazing opportunity um, if you're out there and you were kind of using the excuse of, well, you know what, maybe someday when my kids are older or, you know, when, when I don't have to worry about what I'm going to do with them. Well, now you have the free childcare. Now you have the activities going on for your kids. You know they're going to be having fun. Um, so there's not really any reason maybe besides monetary reasons that you don't come down. Uh, but, but the thing is still, this is over a year away. This is July 16th through the 19th in 2019. That's a Tuesday through a Friday. So we've got over a year to prepare. And so in your churches, you know, if you want to go, uh, if you're a pastor, obviously, you know, you can put together a some sort of fundraiser at your church to, to get to go down there. But if you're, you know, you're a layperson, you say, well, I'm not a pastor. Talk to your pastor. You know, talk to the leaders in your church, say, hey, I'd like to go down. Maybe there's some other people who'd like to go down and experience this general conference thing. Um, you know, maybe we don't have the money, but why, why don't we do a spaghetti dinner or a chili cook-off or, you know, have, have some sort of fundraiser at our church so we can all afford to get the plane ticket to head down there. Um, because obviously you could tell uh, Bishop Kendall believes, and I would say anybody who's involved with this thing believes that this is not only important for people to be there, but it's also going to be life-changing. It's also going to be something that's going to guide our church into the future. Um, and we've been talking on this show um, and, and continue to talk about our nine strategies. Uh, you know, we, ju we just recently last week uh, talked about in, uh, Go Global. We've also talked about Disciple Deeply, um, Honor Fruitfulness. We've talked about uh, Embrace All. Um, and these are just a few of our nine strategies that were actually debuted at the 2015 General Conference. And these things have been have been spoken about time and time again since. They've been implemented by churches. And so you can tell, you can kind of get the idea that if you if you weren't there, like how, how cool it would have been or how important it might have been to be there when these things were first first discussed when these when these conversations were first happening at General Conference 15. Um, and so in the same way, we're going to see some things. We're going to talk about some things, uh, worship together here um, to move into our future once again. And, uh, you know, it, it's totally different from maybe some years in the past. I know I don't know how, how far into the past we're going here. Um, because for me, I've been in the Free Methodist Church about a, a 10 and a half years um, so not within my time, but I've heard that prior to that, General Conference was more of a business thing. You know, you'd go in and you'd have business-type meetings the entire time. Um, but that's not what we're talking about here anymore. We're talking about um, there are some there's some hours of, of business stuff, um, but that will be clearly marked. Um, the majority of the time is going to be worship time. It's going to be time of of you know, moving into this future together type stuff. It's going to be these breakout groups. Uh, last time focusing on the nine strategies. This time I'm not sure what it will, will be specifically on. But I can tell you that it's going to be exciting and I hope to see you there. Um, so uh, again, just, just something to back up what, what Bishop Kendall was saying there a moment ago and to add that, that little information for you of uh, the kids and what's going on with them. Um, in addition, I, I just wanted to make two other notes here. Um, the first being... Um, if you haven't seen yet, 
There is a 50th anniversary edition of the Good News Translation of the Bible that has come out recently. And uh, they decided to put on the front cover some different uh, famous Christian magazines. They put uh, the name Christianity Today on the cover. They put Sojourners on the cover. You may be familiar with some of those names. But they also decided to put Light and Life. Uh, on the cover, the Free Methodist magazine, they decided to put that on the cover of this 50th anniversary edition of the Good News Translation of the Bible. Uh, so it's pretty cool um, to be to be uh, listed there. And I know that uh, um, the editors and, and some of the people over at the Free Methodist you know, World Ministry Center, they, they were kind of uh, uh, shocked by this. They were surprised. They, did, they didn't see this coming. They were excited, of course, but they didn't know um, that it was coming until it was published, I believe, um, until it was out. And so um, it, it's posted there now. Um, it's available online, uh, but also on the Free Methodist website, it's posted a link that you can actually buy it through the Free Methodist website if you want to get a copy of this Bible. Um, but I will put a link to that in the show notes. I'll also put a link to General Conference as well, the registration, so you could get all the information that you need. Um, also, of course, on that same site is a link to the missions trips that we talked about last week with Jerry Coates uh, as a part of our Go Global discussion. You have a chance to go on those missions trips as well. So um, that's just some exciting stuff. And speaking of exciting stuff, I was taking a look at this month's Light in Life, and last week... Um, on last week's show, I, I talked a little bit about just making sure that you pick up a copy of the new Light and Life because it's just the new binding and it's it's a really quality. Um, I mean, not that it was bad before or anything, but this is a, a huge step up. Um, this this quality of the new Light and Life, and and you'll know what it, what I mean when you see it and when you hold it in your hands. But I I found this kind of exciting, kind of interesting when I was looking through the new um, issue here for May. I happened to glance at page four, which has the highlights on it. And of course, it, it tells you, you know, what to expect in this issue. And there's uh, seven different articles specifically in this um, issue of the magazine. And as I looked at it, I realized that uh, we have had on this show five out of seven of, of these authors. So uh, in other words, uh, we've had Jeff Finley, Bishop David Roller, Christy Hines, Joanna DeWolf, and Jay Cordova. Um, and then there are two other authors that I haven't interviewed, but it's kind of cool to just look at, okay, hey, who wrote the articles this month? And see that on this show, we have had five out of seven of those represented. And of course, that's what we want to keep on doing. We want to keep on interviewing new people around the country. And if you're there, um, or, or even actually uh, in other countries, if we can figure out how to, how to you know, pull it off. But uh, if you're out there and you're listening to this and you're saying, hey, my pastor or my church or my, you know, even yourself, if you say, hey, I got something important that, I, that I'd like to, you know, talk about that I think would be good for people to hear, or I, I'd, I think this guy should be featured on the show, you know, just let me know. Um, I'm only one person here. So I'm doing research. I'm finding out things through Light and Life, through the Facebook page, through, you know, just word of mouth. But it, it helps me so much, that final one, that word of mouth, to hear from people kind of what's going on, to get the the, the news stories, um, and to hear the things that are happening. So you can contact me at my email, josh at befreemc.org, um, or you can just send me a message. A lot of people do this. Send me a message through the Facebook page, facebook.com slash fmcradio. Um, or we're over on Twitter. I know I've interacted with a whole nother group on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash fmcradioshow. 
So uh, in any way that you can, get a hold of me, let me know if there's any exciting things uh, coming up or going on in your church or with you individually. Um, and we will uh, look into those and we'll be able to share them with the, the bigger denomination through the podcast. So, so let's take a quick break and uh, I'm going to share something with you when we come back. God, why don't you do something? Well, I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty children sold into slavery the thought disgusted me so i shook my fist at heaven i said god why don't you do something he said i did i created you if not us then So um, today I just wanted to share a few things that I had learned um, somewhat recently. And, and you know, for, for many of us listening, it may not be anything new. You might say, oh, yeah, I kind of heard those concepts before. Uh, but I think that especially the last thing, there's four areas I'm going to talk about here. Um, and the last one is one that, that we kind of uh, skim over maybe or don't look at a lot of times as Christians. Um, so I'll get to that in a moment, but uh, I was reading this book called True Story, A Christianity Worth Believing In. Uh, the name of the author is James Chong, and uh, I'll put a link to his book in the show notes. You could buy that if you wanted to. And it, it's not a, uh, it's an interesting way that he went about the book because what he's trying to get across is a nonfiction, real concept. He's trying to get across this biblical concept. Um, but the way that he does it for three-fourths of the book is to tell a story, a fictional story that he made up um, about a, a, a group, uh, this couple in college, and uh, the guy is a Christian, the girl's not, and uh, kind of evolves from there, the story. Uh, and then the, the final uh, fourth of his book goes into some how-tos of the principles that he's talking about through this fictional story. So if that makes sense, he tells a fictional story in this book, but the point of the fictional story is to allow you to understand the concepts that he's talking about a little bit deeper. Um, so again, the, the name of the book is True Story, A Christianity Worth Believing In. And uh, so I read through the book and I really liked the whole idea of what he was doing. He was able to uh, put together um, some, some pictures that are easily shared with people. And many people have seen the diagram or have shown the diagram or uh, actually have used the diagram themselves of the cliff idea, right? So when you're talking to somebody who may not understand a lot about, you know, or heard about God or Jesus, you say, well, you draw, draw a cliff and you say, well, here's us on this cliff. And then there's a big hole and at the bottom of the hole, we might put some flames and that says hell or something like that, right? And then there's another cliff far away that says God. And we say, well, how are we going to get from our side 
uh, of us over to God because we want a life with God, right? And you've seen that diagram. And, and people say, well, we might build a bridge. Okay, we try to build a bridge. Well, we, we start to build it out and it's not good enough. We're never going to be able to build our bridge and we're always going to end up in hell. We're not able to get across there. So then what people do in that diagram is they draw a cross in the center of that chasm there, right? They draw a, a cross and they write Jesus on it. So the idea is that we walk from the us side over across Jesus and then you get to the God side, right? To heaven. Um, and, and it's a good diagram. I mean, it works for many different purposes, um, but it's pretty straightforward. And, and, it, and it, what that diagram does is it just portrays that, hey, the point of Christianity is how do we get to heaven? That is the main concern. That is the main point of our faith. That is the main purpose of our belief. Um, and while I would agree that it is a main point, that it is a uh, great purpose, that it is something that we want to be concerned with, not only our own eternity, but the eternity of others around us. We want to be telling people about how to come to Christ, how to experience eternal life. However, that is not the fullness of of the scripture. That is not the fullness of especially even Jesus's message. I mean, it wasn't as if he just walked around talking all day to everybody about how to get to heaven. There were conversations where Jesus said, um, you know, uh, someone asked him, well, how do I experience eternal life? And of course, then he talked about being born again and he gave different metaphors, right, on how that, how that would be possible. Um, but the majority of his life was not spent talking about how to get somewhere after death. The majority of his life, if you look at the majority of his teachings, they're about how to spend our life here and now. Um, and so, well, yes, there is a great deal uh, and importance to us talking about eternity and life after this one. Uh, for us to tell people who want to become Christians or instruct people that, hey, you know, it's all about getting to heaven. And once you, you know, have that down, a lot of people might sit back and go, all right, well, I'm good now. I, you know, I've figured out how what has happened and after I die, now I just kind of wait around in a waiting room until I get there, right? So that's the, the traditional diagram. And whether we realize it or not, that's kind of what we say through that diagram, right? We say, well, there's a problem here. There's a chasm and Jesus fills the chasm. Now we get to heaven. Um, but this guy, James Chong, he, he makes a diagram that includes these four different areas uh, that I think represent a much greater picture of the story, um, and they represent it represents a much greater understanding for us to be able to tell people. Now, the diagram, of course, over the podcast, I'm not able to explain greatly enough uh, to, over audio to be able for you to, under, to, to to picture this. But when I post this podcast episode here in a short while, um, I will put a picture of the diagram. Um, on the Facebook page and on the Twitter page. So if you head over there, you can see a picture of the diagram and see kind of what I'm talking about as it unfolds. Um, but I, I'm going to try to explain it in a way that you don't need to see the diagram. I'm going to explain the concepts of these four areas. So the first, when we're talking to someone about Christianity, we usually start uh, where our Bible doesn't start. We start at Genesis 3. We start with, well, the world's messed up and there's sin in the world, but that's not where the Genesis story starts. Uh, the story of the Bible begins, Genesis 1, of course, but so, so, so part number one begins that we are designed for good. Our relationship with God was designed for good. 
Our relationship to the world was designed for good. Our relationships with each other as humans were designed for good. And so we need to start with this reality and paint the picture for people of this perfect world and what it once was. And we're all yearning for something more. If we really think about it and we talk to people and, they, and we hear what their greatest, deepest desires of their heart are, whether that's a relationship that, you know, that they wouldn't be cheated on in a relationship, whether that's, man, I just wish that, you know, the, the environment around us, it would be, you know, cleaner, that we didn't have to be hacking on pollution. You know, some different people, depending on who you're talking to, would, would have different importances that they would stress in their life, right? Um, so no matter what that person brings up, you can, you can hear almost in each and every one of them a yearning for a desire uh, for a world that they've never experienced. And you can explain to them that, yes, the world was once designed for good. It really was. Um, it really was this world that everything was perfect and God said it is good. And uh, everything in the world, from the world itself, from creation itself, to the relationship with God where they would walk in the uh, garden every day with God. And then, you know, we go into the relationships with people um, and, and how that was great. So we explained that and then we move into the second piece. The second piece being we were designed for good, but there was damaged by evil. We were damaged by evil. And so we then explain those three areas once again. We explain that the world was messed up. Now there are um, I mean, you could, yes, talk about pollution and, and, you know, garbage on the streets and those types of things. But for most people, what they'll connect with the most probably in the broken creation are, you know, tornadoes and destruction, uh, hurricanes and typhoons and those types of things that we see in our world around us that are just horrible, natural things. We say, yeah, that the world now, there's just, there's just uh, you know, just a, a groaning almost in creation itself. And then we talk about our relationship with God. Hey, we can no longer just, you know, just interact with God like we used to. And so we talk about our relationship with God and how that was damaged by evil. And then we talk about our relationship with other people and how now, as a result of the curse, we might talk through the curse and what happened. Um, but we say, you know, our relationships with other people are damaged. And what I find very interesting for uh, many people to understand in this part is that it wasn't that men from creation in Genesis 1 ruled over the women. It wasn't as if Adam was created and then they say, well, Adam, you were, you were created first, so now uh, you're going to rule over Eve. No, it's in Genesis 3 when the world was damaged by evil that there's a curse now. And part of the curse is that to, if you read the curse to Eve, it says that Eve um, will be ruled over by her husband now. And so this idea that now men are ruling over the women and there's this whole curse that not only that area, but in all these different areas between God and humans and, and just the whole thing is all messed up. It's all damaged by evil. And, and nobody can argue with this. When you're talking through somebody, w w talking to somebody, they might have a hard time believing about the design for good, even though they say, wow, that, that sounds like utopia. That sounds like that would be great. They may not, they may not believe it, but nobody's going to have a hard time believing that our world is damaged by evil. And they just look around or pick up a newspaper and you'll see that, right? There's so many examples we could give of that. So we talk about designed for good. We then talk about damaged by evil. And then thirdly, we say that we can be restored for better. 
that we can be restored for better. And of course, this is the part where we talk about Jesus. We can't do this stuff on our own. We need to be healed before we can heal. We need to have that restoration in our life. So we explain that, yes, we can be restored for better. And we talk about that idea of coming through uh, through Jesus, but this is where, you know, sometimes we're limited. We say, well, we're restored for better. We're restored into heaven someday in heaven. But again, we, we, t- we can talk about in that restored for better all three of our areas again. We can say, well, you know what? In our relationships as humans, we are restored for better. You know what? We can, we can now have this relationship that, you know, we don't have to just give into our anger all the time. We can be restored for a better kind of life where we work together with people. You know, there's no more uh, uh, this racial division. There's no more us and them. We can now have overcome these types of things. We can be restored for a better kind of world that was previously damaged for evil. And then we can even touch on things we've said before, like, for example, the curse. We can say, well, yeah, there, there was this differentiating between men over the women and all this, you know, thing. But now we look to the New Testament and we see now there is neither male nor female, neither Greek nor Jew. You know, it it goes into all these areas and says, hey, now we're all one in Jesus. So now there's no more, you know, class systems. There's no more male or female systems. There's no more racial stuff going on. We're all equal here uh, before the cross. And then we look at our relationship with God. We, of course, explain that our relationship with God can be restored for better here on this earth and then in the life after this this earth. Um, And then we look towards our final area of, of the world around us. And we acknowledge that the world around us is still broken, that we can restore for better the world. Um, but the world around us is still broken, which leads us into our fourth and final area. So we've had designed for good, number one, two damaged by evil, three restored for better. And then fourthly, and I think this is the piece that most Christians leave off on. You might have heard all of these three. You say, oh yeah, designed for good, damaged by evil, restored for better. Well, what's the fourth thing? Go to heaven? No, no, it's not go to heaven. This <laughs> so all these four things are things that can happen here and now on our earth. The fourth thing is sent to heal, sent to heal. And this is a key piece because it's not, uh, it's, it's not seen everywhere. And I'm not saying that, that this is the majority, but I've seen many people that get stuck in restored for better. They say, well, now I've been restored to relationship with God and my friends. And, uh, you know, that, that's pretty much good. You know, I, I, I pretty much feel good now. And they don't go out. And so once we've been once we've been restored, we pair up, and you'll see this on our diagram if you, if you look at the picture, the diagram of people pairing up together in their restored relationships with arrows pointing out towards the world. They're pairing up with God and each other to then go out and fix the still damaged world, to go out and do that. And there's so many ways that that fixing the damaged world can can look. Um, because they, it really can fit into any of the things that we've been talking about. And so I actually uh, recently talked through, it took me four weeks, we, we spent one week on each of these areas. I talked through this whole idea of being, you know, essentially damaged by evil, but restored for better and now sent to heal. Um, and I talked through it with my youth group over the course of four weeks. And as a, the four weeks came to a close, I told all of, all of them in the youth group, I said, well, next week when we come together, Let's think about some ways 
that we can be sent to heal and not just in theory, but actual things that we could do to be sent to heal, to go out and heal our community, our schools, whatever it is. Like, what are we actually going to do? Like an actual plan. So as I was heading home that day from youth group, I, I had this idea well, okay, they're supposed to be thinking of ways this week. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be wouldn't it be cool if I could every single day this week for the next six days leading up to our next youth group, maybe think of or, or meet up with some people or, or go find some, some areas that Christians are sent to heal, that Christians are healing the world just around me today. And so I just kind of, I prayed that God would open my eyes and I kept my eyes open and I started to go. And uh, on the first day, I, I headed down to a place that I had worked before, the Rescue Mission of Mahoning Valley. And I spent some time among the homeless there and among the time, spent some time among the people that lived there um, and work there. And I was able to learn some things. I was able to see some things. And of course, just spending time with the homeless, being able to see these Christians who had invested their lives in helping those who have nowhere else to go, who a lot of times have exhausted all their other options, whether for um, whether it's their own fault or a lot of times not their fault, right? Uh, maybe a fire happened and, and that left them without anything. I, I, well, I worked there. That happened many times. Um, it wasn't just, you know, addicts or, or people who wasted their money or, you know, those types of things. There were other people who had gone through uh, real tragedies and, and had been left without anything. Um, and so that was my first day that I just, you know, I was empowered by that. But for me personally, you know, I made a video on each of these days and I shared it with the youth group page on Facebook. And, uh, you know, for me, I had worked there, so I, I kind of knew what to expect. But as the days unfolded, I started to find uh, more amazing things. I started to find so many amazing things in the world around me that just by keeping my eyes open, I was seeing how Christians were healing the world around me. I'll give you a few examples and a few stories because it's just, I want to encourage you to keep your eyes open this coming week and see how are Christians healing the world around you um, and how could you get involved. So the, the very next day, I was just happened to be outside. It was a really nice day out and I saw uh, my next door neighbor, Kimmy, and she was uh, walking down the street with some of her girls. She has three younger girls and uh, she they were holding garbage bag and they were going around. We live in uh, this old neighborhood called the Idora neighborhood previously hosted a um, it was it was a, the site of an amusement park called Idora Park and it was very if you're if you live in the Ohio PA area um, you probably visited there or maybe went to a work party there or something um, it was a, a very popular amusement park until a few fires and it burned down um, uh, several years ago, I should say, uh, probably a few decades ago now. Um, but we, the, where our house is, it's right on this street, uh, essentially this old street that led right down into the parking lot for Idora Park. And so anyways, my neighbor is walking around and this, this neighborhood is, is slowly being restored over time, but it's gone through some changes and some downfalls since that time, that heyday of the Idora Park days. And so my neighbor is there and she was walking around picking up trash on the streets. Um, and when I talked to her about why she was doing this, she just had this idea that she wanted to teach her girls um, about just caring for the world around us. And uh, I think that in our world today, a lot of conservative voices and a lot of people in the church um, over the years, and again, not everybody, but, but many voices have spoken out and, and kind of had this idea that 
Wow, well, those tree huggers, you know, right? Like, well, environment, environmentalists. And we kind of, for some reason, get this weird feeling when we talk about the environment, right? Um, we get kind of weirded out. Now, are you going to get into global warming and say, you know, stuff like that? We start to get kind of weirded out. Um, but in, the environment is ours to take care of. I mean, it's it's right there in, in Genesis, um, you know, Genesis 1. God put us in charge of humans in charge of the animals, in charge of the world, in charge of creation. So we don't want to just, you know, throw our cup out the window um, and say, oh, it's all right, you know, hey, whatever, and just kind of trash up the world. So when I saw Kimmy, my neighbor, and her girls, you know, teaching her girls, hey, we're just going to care for the world around us. You know, it was this, it's this picture of how in a very simple way, we can be sent to heal. Just go heal our world. Just go pick up trash on the streets. And and you know what that does? It not only helps with the world, but then it helps to lift the spirits of the people in the community because they don't have to walk out their door and see trash on the side of the street. They look out and they see, hey, it's a pretty clean place. I live in a nice area, right? So it actually ends up helping people as well and bolsters some of that, uh, some of that within them. But then I, I kept going through my week and I kept making these videos for the YouTube page and uh, I thought, you know what a big problem is in our world? Racism. So I, I talked to my friend across the street, his name's Ron, he's in his 70s and he's married and so it's this African-American couple that lives there and they've lived there for many years and you know he's a, he's a great guy, he's always willing to help people but I, I asked him uh, uh, one day, I said, hey, tomorrow would you be willing to sit down with me and do a, a real short interview? I said, it's like three minutes or something, just about racism and kind of what you've seen over the years and how you think that uh, things have gotten better or what you think still needs work and he said, oh, sure, sure, yeah, that's great. So the next day I got together with him, I said, are you ready to, to, to shoot the interview? And I was gonna make it real simple, you know, just set up my iPad and just kind of film something. And, and he said, well, I came up with a skit. So I'm like, okay. So he didn't wanna do the interview, he wanted to do a skit. So he came up with this skit and, and we filmed the skit and it was, you know, a skit involving racism. He had this idea that, you know, I would be working in my backyard and he'd come back and uh, he'd have this issue that he had gone to the store and, uh, you know, someone had cut in front of him and, and then uh, called him the N-word and all this. And so he, uh, so he came up with this skit. He talked us through it and then we went through the whole skit, right? So, I mean, he's in his 70s. So it was kind of a cheesy film once, we, once it was all said and done, right? It's kind of a cheesy thing. Uh, um, but it was, it was his way, and, and it was a beautiful, a beautiful skit too. Because when it was all done, we 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 looked at it and we, you know, we edited it together. And the person that was filming wasn't really all that great at filming. Their thumb went in front of the screen for a minute, but it was a one take thing. When we were done, we said, "Well, I guess that's it." So, um, so it was, it wasn't that great of a film, right? But at the at the bottom of it all, at the at the end of it all, was this, you know, Ron, my my neighbor, saying, "Hey." Um, Let's just let's just uh, live this out. This is this is my reflections on racism is having this reality of hey the world around us is messed up. But as his script went, when he talked to me about this, then we talked through um, his reaction to to the racism he had seen and how love was the only correct response that could only overcome that and how his anger would not not uh, lead away not. Uh, lead away from this kind of racism, but it might even add to the problems in the world around us. So this was his script, and we and we acted it out. And after we were done uh, doing this little skit in the backyard and filming it in my backyard, um, Ron told me about some couples across the street at his house that were that were hanging out, and uh, they were interracial couples. Um, and so I went across the street and met some people and was talk were t was talking to them, um, and I met this guy. 
um, who was over there, and uh, his African American guy, and um, the reason I'm I'm pointing out his race, a lot of times I don't think that's important to say. Well, there was a black guy on the street, or there was a white man. You know, you don't need to you don't need to necessarily always be pointing out the race of everybody. But I think it's important in this story because. We were talking about, and my friend Ron and I were, were doing this skit on racial tensions, and, and so I, I go and I'm talking to this um, African-American guy, and uh, you know I don't have any tensions, and he didn't have any tensions, but as we spoke, we, we found deeper connections. You know, I didn't know this guy at all, but, but we were just kind of introducing each other and talking about just briefly who, you know, introducing ourselves. But then we ended up staying out there for like an hour and just talking. And, and this guy who knows a lot about the Bible, um, but he, sa- he has said in his own words that um, he has three kids and a wife. And he says, I know I'm leading them down the wrong path, some of the stuff I'm doing. He said, you know, I grew up and, and have lived my life for many years following God, but I kind of abandoned it. And he said, you know what? It's just the temptations. I've just, uh, I've just kind of fallen off track. And I, I tell my kids one thing and do another. And so we had this beautiful conversation. Um, and I've seen so many people in our world that, uh, you know, a white guy who's afraid to approach a black guy for some reason, um, not necessarily because they're afraid of violence or afraid of anything like that, but for some reason, it's just this racial tension that happens, right? And so we're sent to heal those tensions. We're sent to go and just say, well, I'm just going to go talk to my neighbor. And next thing you know, you realize, well, there's, there's, there wasn't any tension to begin with. It was all just something in the media or it was something in my mind that never existed, right? Um, so that was one of the days I had this conversation with, with this guy who my, who my neighbor invi- invited me to connect with. And then the next day, this will not surprise you. Uh, I mentioned this on the last show, but this is important for me to mention again. <laughs> the next day, I, I uh, went and I was keeping my eyes open. Um, and I went to this John Foreman concert. That's the part that won't surprise you, right? You've heard of me mention him a million times, play his music a million times. And I, I didn't play his music today, so you know I'm not going to force his music on you again. Uh, but I was on my way with my dad and my, and my friend Michael, and I thought, what will I do for today's video? Because i got to drive four hours, and then you know, we're going to stay in a hotel. I don't, I don't have the time to go seek out you know, like I did for the skit video and stuff. So I'm sitting there thinking about it, and I thought, well, I'll... Maybe I'll talk about the importance of music and how this guy, John, can you know, really influence people you know, through his music. And he's healing people. He's healing the world as a Christian through the music that he writes. And so I had that kind of an idea. But as we were there and I, was, you know, I, had, I had filmed my dad and my friend talking about the impact of music in their life. And I had filmed some of the concert. Um, as it came to the end of the concert, there was this guy that was standing near us up front. And uh, he was just kind of an outspoken guy. Uh, any of the songs that were picked, the guy would just, oh, that's, I like that one. That's a good one. Those types of things. He was just outspoken guy. And so uh, on the encore song, John came out and he started to sing this song before our time. And uh, he said, I'm gonna, well, he actually didn't start to sing yet. He said, I'm going to sing this song as before our time. And this guy, again, he spoke up. He said, hey, that's, oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I like that one. And uh, for whatever reason, maybe it was just quieter this time when he said it, but John, up on the stage, he stopped and he said, oh, yeah, hey, why do you like that one? Because they were, they were pretty close. To, he was pretty close to the stage. And this guy said, all of a sudden, he like started blurting out like this big story. And uh, he didn't have a plan to tell the story, but John asked him why he liked the song. And at first, when the guy started talking, this guy who I later found out his name's Jerome, 
when this guy Jerome, who was at the concert, started talking, I thought, okay, is this some crazy guy or something? Like, what what is even going on? But he started to tell the story. He said, well, a few years ago, I, um, I, I, I heard God tell me that he wanted me to be a missionary to India. And he wanted me to just show up in India and not, not have any plan, just not have any money, not have anything packed, not have anywhere where I'm going, just show up in India and start walking the streets. And so this is what this guy starts saying, right? And, and we're about to, st- to have the encore song at this concert, and this guy just starts speaking up. And like, what is going on? So this guy says, so uh, I said, well, that's a crazy, that's crazy. Like, I'm not going to be able to go to go to India, right? I mean, how am I going to, what am I going to do there? I don't even know what I'm doing. So God told him, well, to prepare to go to India, what you're going to do is you're going to walk from your house in Hanover, Pennsylvania, all the way to the West Coast to San Francisco. You're just going to walk on foot. You're not going to bring any money. You're not going to bring any, any clothes. You're just going to start walking. And, uh, t- you know, you don't have a plan. You just start walking. You don't have anywhere to stay. Just start walking. And this guy, Jerome, is telling us here at this concert, I started walking. And I, he said, about a year ago, um, I made it to San Francisco. He said, I, I made it to San Francisco. And I never one night knew where I was going to stay. But I never went one day without eating. And I never went one night without a place to stay because he said what was amazing, this miracle happened. He would be walking by restaurants and he didn't have to look sad outside the restaurant or hold up a sign that said, you know, homeless or anything like that. He would just be walking by. He said this happened several times that someone just walked out and said, hey, uh, I don't know you, but God spoke to me. I'm eating inside the restaurant. He spoke to me and said to come and give you uh, to buy you a meal. And so this is Jerome's telling us all of this, right? And he says, well, I made it to the West Coast after all these days of walking, random people that I just met on the streets inviting me into their homes and saying, stay with us tonight before you go. And churches saying, you can stay here and and all sorts of things all the way from Pennsylvania, walking all the way west to the West Coast. And he says, I made it to the beach and it was right when your song, John, released this song that you're about to play before our time. And I, and I, put on the headphones and listened to that song just as I hit the beach. And when it was over, I took it off and I jumped into the waves. And uh, as a celebration of this whole journey. And so he said, that's why that song's so important to me. And of course, John standing on the stage, he didn't, you know, he just thought the guy was going to say, oh, it's just really, I really like this lyric. Or, you know, he didn't know what was going to be said. But as as, as Jerome is sitting there telling this story, John is just like, everything's come to a standstill. You know, this was just, before this was a concert. Yes, it was a meaningful concert. Yes, it was a great concert. Yes, it was something that I enjoyed being at. But now uh, you could hear a pin drop. This concert has kind of faded away. What is going on here has transcended anything that any of us thought we would experience when we came to John Foreman's concert that day, including John himself. He has now stepped to the edge of the stage, kind of stooped down, put his guitar over his shoulder um, and, and just is like hunched down on the corner of the stage just w- with the most intense look on his face. And when Jerome is done telling the story, he just says, I don't even know what to say. He says, that is the most amazing thing I've ever heard at any concert I've ever, I've ever done. 
And so he says, Jerome, this this is such an important song to you. You need to come on stage and sing this song with me. And Jerome's like, I can't, I can't sing at all. So he doesn't want to come up. And John's like, well, can you just like shake this tambourine? And so so Jerome gets up there and he's shaking this tambourine uh, to along to the song Before Our Time that I actually played a clip of on the last show. And so he's singing this song, and I got the chance to, to, to speak to Jerome after the show and talk to him a little bit and get a video of his uh, story for the youth group page. Uh, but as my eyes were open to this reality of this guy who he's, he explained further to me that he had tested a lot of things in the Bible. As a former atheist, he had started to test the things through archaeology and say, well, wait a minute, some things are lining up here to, to prove the Bible true. And then as he got along in his faith, he started to realize there's some things that I can't just research to find out if they're true. And he read statements of Jesus that said things like, you know, don't, don't pack anything when you go on these journeys and, and just don't worry about tomorrow. Mar tomorrow will worry about itself and, and, you know, God will provide for you and those types of things. And he thought, well, is that really true? Like, what if I really didn't have money in my bank account? Would God provide for me? And so he, he just decided to step out on faith and do this and take this walk across America. And he did it. And, and it, I mean, I'm able to just touch the surface with the stuff that he did, but he was sent to heal America and heal the people that he was, you know, seeing in so many different ways as he walked, made his, made his journey, made his walk. And now he's preparing within the next several months here to do the next step. He's, he's preparing to go to India and just show up with nothing again. Um, not have any plans, not have any bank account, not raise money, you know, through a, a, as a missionary because he believes that God spoke to him and God told him to go heal the world to go do this and to do it on God's terms, not on his way, not not in Jerome's way so he would feel comfortable, but to do it. And, and now he has full trust in God because he spent over a year just walking with not a dollar and he never went a day hungry. And so um, that's just amazing to me. And uh, so my question to you this week is not only to take a look at that, um, that diagram, designed for good, damaged by evil, restored for better, and sent to heal, not only to look at it and think of maybe you could use it to some people that you talk to. It can, this diagram can fit on a napkin. You can um, draw it up wherever you're at. Um, but it's also important to um, ask yourself, am I, where am I on that diagram? Am I still in the damage to heal? I haven't accepted Christ yet. Uh, or have you accepted Christ? You say, yes, I'm restored for better. I, I've been restored to relationship with God and others. But have you gone into that final, that final piece? Have you been sent to heal? Have you paired up with somebody? Have you, have you gone out on your own and have you gone to go heal the world? And, and how are you doing that? I would love to hear how your church or you or your, your, you and your spouse or whoever it is, as a listener, how are you being sent to heal? How are you healing the world around you? And maybe you say, well, I don't have a big story like Jerome. You know, I don't have anything like that, but that's okay. You could be like Kimmy and just doing something in your neighborhood. You could be like my friend Ron who just thought up a skit to talk about racism, you know? You could be like Jerome. You could, there's so many different things out there and ways that you can heal the world around you. But what we don't want to do is just stop... At, at what people have referred to as fire insurance, right? Of the thing of like, well, I got my, my way out of hell and, and, and I'm good, you know? And now I could sit back and wait until heaven. And if we do that, we'll find that our lives are very boring and we'll find that, hey, I feel like there's so much more out there. I feel like, you know, yeah, I found Jesus, but I, I feel like something's still missing. And, 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 and what is that thing? Well, 
It's that we're not supposed to just sit back now after we find Jesus, that we're sent to heal, that we're sent to have purpose and meaning in our lives and bring that purpose and meaning to other people. And when you're doing that kind of stuff, what you're going to find is that all of a sudden, you're not going to feel like, well, something's missing. You're going to feel like, I feel like I'm finally where I'm meant to be. Because you're not paused at damaged by evil. You're not stuck at just restored for better. You are now sent to heal the world around you. And if you can do that, if you can figure out a way to do it, you're going to find this meaning, this purpose, and beauty all around you each and every day. So uh, we will speak next week. We've got an interview coming with you next week, uh, to you next week, from a, a guy. I won't spoil it. You'll have to wait and see who it is. But I will tell you, he is a uh, big name, a, a big name guy from our uh, World Ministry Center, somebody that we have not had on our show before, who I got to meet last weekend. Uh, so we will uh, bring him on next week. And until then, uh, Change the